You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. Glad we get to be together today and to fellowship and to worship and to uh, open God's Word and hear from, hear from the, the source of all truth, and that's God. Uh, this is uh, part six in a five-part series. Which is the truth. Uh, I thought it was a five-part series to begin with, and then, you know, presto changeo, things change a little bit. Uh, I found two more that I didn't want to miss on this Good to Know series. So, good to know. Uh, Good information to have, good things to know about, good things to understand. Um, The first one we talked about was Old Testament truths and examples, typology, and the value of taking uh, the whole word of God, the whole council, not just little bits and pieces, but the whole thing and the importance of that. Uh, so on Wednesday evenings, uh, we're going through the book of Acts, and oftentimes that's what we're doing. We're just teaching through a book. We just have this little uh, series we've sli- slipped in here because these are things that uh, we, the Bible says, uh, or Paul says, and one from Peter, that we don't want you to be ignorant of or uninformed about or unaware of. And it's interesting that these are the things that the church seems to be so weak or uninformed about. Maybe not necessarily just our congregation, but at, at large, these things are, are things. So Old Testament truths, types, examples, 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 1. The second one was Romans eleven twenty five. God is still at work with the nation Israel. Israel's not... Uh, set aside. Israel's not, uh, God's still at work. God's still got a plan. God's still doing something with the nation Israel. Uh, The nation Israel wasn't replaced just by the church. God is working through the church to provoke the nation Israel. That's his his desire that they would come to know him. And ultimately, that will take place. Ultimately, uh, the scales will fall from the eyes and they will see Jesus for who he is. The third one was good of the good to know uh, thoughts was uh, out of 1 Corinthians 12, 1, um, the gifts and ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the believer. So the gifts and working, and we believe, I believe, and um, many of us believe uh, that we teach this and, and believe that God is still moving in and through the power of his Holy Spirit on the earth today. We believe that he indwells us and wants to move through us for his glory. And the uh, Fourth one was Second uh, Corinthians two eleven, and that was uh, the enemy. The enemies at work. We know that it is, it is a spiritual reality of a warfare that goes on. It's not just that we think maybe there's a spiritual battle. No, there actually is a legitimate spiritual battle going on, and that's out of again Second Corinthians two eleven. Uh, and then uh, the fifth one that I thought was the last one, but then there were two more. Um, was 1 Thessalonians 4.13, which is the rapture of the church and the second coming uh, of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about that and how that pertains to our present days in which we live. Uh, number six is today, 2 Corinthians 1.8. Trials and suffering uh, and God's deliverance in the believer's life. Trials and sufferings and God's deliverance in the believer's life. So 2 Corinthians 1.8, you can be locating that. The, the seventh one will be uh, 2 Peter Next week, 
uh, 3.8, uh, God's time frame. God's timing is different than our timing. And uh, we're just going to talk about that a little bit. Again, these are things that I think are good to know. They've been very helpful for me, uh, both presently and I know are have been, had an ongoing development in my life and have been very helpful to me. And I've enjoyed going back through them and thinking about them. In verse 8 of 2 Corinthians, in the first chapter, it says, For we do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed, brethren, family, brothers and sisters, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. And so we'll talk about that and unpack that as we go along this morning. This idea of God's deliverance and the reality that we face trials and sufferings this side of eternity. Um, I know there are those that would um, try and tell us that, you know, you know, if you had enough faith, then you wouldn't have difficulties. Well, that's really not what the Bible says. Um, we see so many throughout the scriptures. We see what happened to Jesus. He was crucified. And there was a purpose and a plan in the trials, in the sufferings. There, God's got something at work. And so I think sometimes to discount, um, and then it becomes plastic. It becomes fake is what I mean by plastic. It becomes fake to try and pretend like we aren't having troubles or we don't have difficulties. They happen. That's part of the, our experience here on this earth. And it's better just to be real about that and understand that God, what is God's purpose in that? Is he wanting to do something in and through that? And so we'll talk about that again as we go along a little bit further. When we talk about this, uh, there are a couple of sightings that he referenced here that the trials that he experienced in Asia and, and so on. Well, Asia is like modern Turkey, and that was part of where some of his missionary travels took him. But it's interesting that Paul doesn't cite anything specific or a specific trial while there, because that's a vast area. It wasn't, and I think the Holy Spirit did that for a reason. Because God wants you to know and me to know whether it's this grand, huge problem or something, just a, a, a lesser trial, but that God is aware of those things and God's got a purpose and plan in the midst of those things. I think this is kind of important that the sufferings and the trials and the difficulties um, aren't necessarily mentioned in a small or big scale, um, uh, which just helps us to see it in the total scope of Sometimes something that may be smaller to someone else can be cataclysmic to us. It can be a real big deal to us. And, and that's, that's true too. So I think it's kind of in proportion to where we're at or what's going on in our lives. So one of the things that we've tried to do while we've gone through each one of these, these areas of good to know, things that we want to be aware of, when we went through all of this, each time we've tried to do a couple of things. One was to... Take it within the context. This, this, this verse and this portion, actually the, the pericope is from verse 8 through uh, 11. So that little portion of scripture that we're going to be studying, that thought is in verses 8 through 11. And we'll go through and explain all of those or teach through those. But one of the things, I'm, why, I'm, <laughs> why I'm repeating this again and trying to explain this is because I have found this to be a value in my own personal just Bible reading, devotional, quiet time, however you want to word it. In my own quiet time with the Lord, I might 
feel I might be reading through something and really hone in. I feel like God's really speaking something to me from a specific little portion, right? And it's important, though, that while I'm reading that, that I'm not taking apart that part of it out apart from the whole context of God's truth. This is an important truth in Bible study. This is an important truth in your devotional life. This is an important truth in your comprehension of who God is and how to understand who God is and to how to understand how God might impact my present life, my situation, my circumstances today. I don't want to take a part apart from the whole. Because when I do that, I take a, a concept or something I believe is there, and then I try and fit what I think is there into the rest of Scripture. And now I'm forcing or superimposing my views or my... Th- I'm not just hearing from God. Look, you and I aren't God. I'm not God, you're not God, we're not God. God's God, and we want to hear from him, and we want to let him actually influence us. You know, our role isn't to try and influence God and to get God to do our agenda. That's backwards. We're here. We're his subjects. I know it's hard for us to understand because we don't live in a, you know, a, a rule of order that has, has a king like that and stuff, but we are subjects, meaning that we are his Under his charge, we are subservient to our king and our master, who is Jesus Christ, who is God, the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we don't want to take a part apart from the whole. So we want to go back a little bit and read so we get the context of what's happening. Paul's writing to this church in Corinth. This is the second communication that we have in our Bible. It's called 2 Corinthians because it's the second communication that we have that's recorded in the scriptures, writing back to the, a church where he's written, you know, 16, for us, 16 chapters. You know, you know when Paul's writing a letter, he's writing a letter, right? He wasn't, oh, chapter one, I need to say this. You know, verse four needs to be, the, you know, it wasn't written like that. We put in chapters and verses for our own benefit so that we can start to understand a little bit more and have reference to and, and go back and reference something. But it, it was written in a letter form, penned out just like you'd write, and so that's what it is. And so we don't want to separate them out, but this is true. In the first one, he was providing a lot of correction to the church, instruction to the church, helping the church see how to function in a more healthy way. They were far from, you know, a perfect church, the church in Corinth. They had a lot of issues, a lot of problems, but Paul loved them. He had a heart for them. He saw them as God's people, and he just wanted to provide further insights and helps to them. And I think that's a good, great attitude to have, a great perspective. Um, So now he's writing, and he says, as he's writing, he says in verse 3, if you go back up to verse 3, because he's done his little introduction in the first couple of verses, and then in verse 3 he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble or difficulty with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective and enduring the same sufferings 
which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Now it goes on, you see. So the, the idea is he's talking about Knowing that there are difficulties that happen in this side of eternity, in yours and my life, there are difficulties, trials and sufferings that we go through, difficult times. But we are to look to God as the one who provides the comfort. And it is awfully, it is difficult to be very compassionate, empathetic, understanding, loving in difficult seasons when we ourselves haven't been touched by difficulty. You see, it doesn't have to be exactly the same difficulty. It says we are to comfort others wherewith the same comfort we ourselves were comforted. And the idea is, is that where do you go? Where do I go? Where do we go to find our comfort? You see, there were other seasons in my life when I wasn't who I am now. I was somebody else, not being weird, but I was actually was living a different life, and I wasn't the same person I am now. And I would go to other things, substance and alcohol, different things to find comfort, right? I would go to those other sources to find comfort. But then when I gave my life back to the Lord, I found, oh, no, he is the one that provides the comfort. Now when I have difficulties, I go to the Lord and I find comfort from God. I find he is the source of that comfort. Now, I can sit and have a conversation with somebody and I've not been through what they're going through, but I can understand and I can encourage them to seek comfort because I know he is the father of all. And whenever you find the word all in, in the Greek, it means exactly the same thing as it means in the English. <laughs> all means all. <laughs> so it's all-inclusive. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's everything. It's, it's not just little trials or little difficulties or cataclysmic, gigantic, or, you know, or global, geopolitical. It, it's any difficulty. We bring our, ourselves to the Lord and we seek him out. This is the context that's leading up to, Right? This is, helps us. I'm showing you this is how I would devotionally even read this. I would personally probably hone in on the, hey, I don't want to be ignorant. Well, yeah, I don't want to be an ignorant person, so what does this mean? So I would hone in, personally, I would probably hone in on that. And then I would go back and say, okay, what's the, what's the, what's the larger scope of this that he's trying to convey so that I'm not getting weirded out going some other direction trying to understand that I don't want to be ignorant, knowing that trials and difficulties do happen. The Bible declares that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. So, in other words, difficulties, too, happen for the good and, and the not-so-good. You know, it's, it's your, because you and I face a challenging time or trial or a difficulty or we're going through a suffering situation, doesn't mean you've done something wrong, necessarily. That's not necessarily the case. Sometimes that can be the case, but that's not necessarily the case. You can go through difficult things and difficult seasons and have done nothing but just followed God. Think about the, the guys when they got into the boat. I'm talking about the disciples. When Jesus, and the Bible says, he sternly told them to get in the boat and that he'd meet them on the other side. Get in the boat. And sternly, he was firm with them. I want you guys to get in the boat and I'll catch up with you on the other side of the lake. Halfway across, a big storm comes up, 
I would have been sitting in, this is me, I'm just, I'm just giving you, you guys might be much more lovely people than I am, but I would have been sitting in the boat, and I would have been vocal about it too, because that's how I am. I would have been vocal about it, and I would have stirred up the rest of the guys in the boat probably about it as well. Hey man, aren't we doing exactly what he said to do? What's going on, man? Now we're here out in the middle of the sea, and the waves are coming, oh, we're going oh, to die out here. I would hit red alert panic button for sure. I just know me, and that's what I would do. In that situation, I would have been like, oh, my goodness. Didn't we, didn't, and I have said these things. Lord, I'm doing exactly what I know you told me to do. I'm doing, why, I feel like I'm getting jacked. Why is that happening? You know what I mean? You know? I mean, that was real. I mean, that's, that's what goes on inside me, and I think, what, what is happening? But this truth comes true, and then I realize, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up. He says, Peace. Be still. And then he tells you, it, it is I. <laughs> you know, it's Jesus. Oh, you know, it, it's like, and I'm freaking out. But the lesson to be learned was, what did he say? He said, I will meet you on the other side. Now, when he said that, he's a teacher. And if he's a teacher... There has to be a test. Did you as a disciple, as a learner, learn what I said? I said, I'll meet you on the other side. Instead, well, dude, aren't we doing what he said? Now, look what's happened to us. You know, this is what, what, what in the world, you know. You know, they're all worked up because they're all absorbed with what's happened. Instead of realizing, no one, you heard none of them chime in and say, well, the master said that we'd, he'd, he'd catch us on the other side. So I guess we just keep going, you know. If we turn into a submarine to get there, who knows? I, I don't know, but we, you know, you get what I'm saying. We've got to trust the Lord at his word that he speaks to our hearts and to our lives. So let's unpack this first a little bit. For we do not want you to be ignorant in verse 8, brethren, family. So it's talking to the family. It wants us to be aware of something, something important regarding difficulties. He goes, I don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. He says, you know what happened to us. It's modern Turkey now, but you know what happened to us. You know the difficulties that we face, the things that went on. And he says, this is how he begins to describe these. He says, that we were burdened beyond measure. So, burden beyond measure is that it's gone past, way past, my ability to feel like I have any charge over the circumstance. It's kind of out of my control. This is, I'm getting stretched, or I'm in an, a, a circumstance or an arena of something that's outside of my control, scope of control. That's the first thing he says. That's, this is the idea of the difficulty. No more control in the, in the situation. That's, that's, it's beyond measure. I'm burdened. I'm, I'm weighted down by this. Um, also, uh, this burdened is um, weighted down to the place of, of a buckling, basically. Kind of buckled down under the weight of it. I'm, 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 I'm crippled by it. I can't move forward. I'm just... Uh, have you ever seen a, a, an animal that's been overladen with weight and it just kind of drops to, like you can see a, a camel or something, it just kind of drops to its knees. Like, yeah, I'm not going any further. Donkeys will do the same thing. Yeah, yeah I'm done. 
you know, I, I can't carry anymore. You've overloaded me. What's wrong with you? So I'm just going to sit here. You know, I'm going to sit down, lay down. So it's that kind of um, weight. And he says, burden beyond measure, <laughs> above strength or past that ability, just past that ability to carry it at all. And then it says, so that we despaired even of life. And this idea of despairing of life is not the idea that, oh, we were suicidal. That's not what he's saying. So I don't want you to be misunderstand this. He's saying that... Um, the situation we believe to be so grave that we might lose our lives. We, we, we felt like we were on the edge that I don't know that I can live through this. I don't know that I'm going to make it through this. It's that type of circumstance, okay? So they were weighted down with it that far. Then he says, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That we felt the weight of this and the weight of it was so crippling that we felt like we, may, we were to the end of ourselves. We may not even be able to hang on any longer. I, I think a lot of us have been in various circumstances, emotionally, you know, uh, just distraught, uh, maybe even physically in situations where we've been in this kind of situation. This is very real. This does happen. And it's very crippling. And he says that we have the sentence of death in ourselves. That, in other words, we know our inability to do, take this or deal with this any further on our, on our own. And that we, that we should not trust in ourselves. So no longer will we trust in our own ability, but in God who raises the dead. So not trust in ourselves. In other words, I'm not going to lean on me. I'm not able to deal with this, but I'm going to go outside of me and I'm going to trust in God. We're going to trust in God. Who? And then we get this idea of the deliverance. So we've, we're clear on the fact that trials and sufferings happen to the just and the unjust alike. It happens to everybody. But what are we going to do with those? We want to look for the one who is able to deliver us. He's saying we had no capacity to deliver ourselves. We couldn't get ourselves out of the circumstance. I want to say a couple of things about um, looking to God for deliverance. Oftentimes, our objective, my objective, your objective, i speak for myself and for you because I know even though you may not want to cop to this, it's the reality, meaning we all think this way. We try to find the way out of the difficulty so that we don't have to suffer or go through the trial. But oftentimes, God's got a purpose and a plan taking us through the trial so oftentimes, and this is where, why we all like the Footprints poem. How many of you are familiar with that? The Footprints in the Sand. Some of you are familiar. Some of you are, you know, you know, you know and then you realize, oh, and the poem says, oh, he says, well, where were you? You know, the, the poet's saying, where were you? I just, just one set of footprints here in the sand. Where were you, God? You know, I needed you and all this. And it says, oh, those aren't your footprints. I was carrying you. And that's the truth. He's there for you. He's there for me. In the midst of whatever trial or difficulty or 
suffering or discouragement or any. He's there for you. And he's able to deliver. He says in verse 10, who delivers us from so great a death. Would you notice that in this first one that he says, who delivers us, this, who delivered us, excuse me, who delivered us. So this is, uh, when it's written this way, this is a past tense, right? Delivered, E-D. This is something that he's, he's done, who delivered us. So this is a past, he, from the past, he delivers us from, from so great a death. And does deliver us, this is present in this current situation, in whom we trust that he will deliver us, and this is out into the future. So past, present, and future, he is our deliverer. We can trust him both with our past as we look back. This is the advantage of being in the present and being able to walk with the Lord and look back, having been comforted, in trials and suffering, I can look back and say, no, he was there for me in that. I can be then assured in my present situation that he is going to help and deliver in this. Now, the deliverance doesn't always look like what my mind's eye thinks it should look like, right? God's got his ways and his plans. And then all of a sudden, I can have confidence going forward while I'm in the midst of it that no matter what happens, he's going to follow through even out into the future, whatever happens. I'm in his hands. He's reliable. God's reliable. God can do it. Past, present, and future. And I like the the trust that that, you know, this emphatic statement, that he will deliver us. It's, It's God that's able to do it. You also, helping together in prayer for us, that that thanks may be given by many persons in our on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. In other words, he's saying the partnership that there was in prayer, God caring for uh, us uh, and our circumstances uh, and partnering together in prayer. So there's us talking to the Lord and looking to the Lord, sharing even with other people and partnering together in prayer, but we're all still looking to God. I'm not looking to other people. I'm looking to God to provide the help and the deliverance. So this is the thing. Sometimes my idea of deliverance is different than what I think God's idea is. Because sometimes his idea of deliverance is to show me how strong he is and how capable he is to build my trust and my confidence in him. You and I need to remember something about God. God is a loving father to you and to me. We have been brought into the family of God, doesn't matter how old or how young we are. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we're his kids. And as his kids, he's raising a family. And so he's wanting to teach you and I some principles, some truths, some things that will help you know, guide us through life. So trials and suffering can also be a part of a training process that, again, I'm looking at, I just want to get this thing over with. Sometimes I prolong it by just trying to get myself out of it, out of a situation. Trying to figure it all out and trying to fix it all myself, and I make it just worse, really. And I prolong the process instead of just yielding to what God's wanting to do in the process and let God be God. Let Dad deal with the situation and help me understand it. I think one of the other things that we've talked about in trying to develop good um, 
truths in our lives was that we want to see, especially as New Testament believers, we want to see some of these things in the light of, okay, is this something that Jesus talked about? Is this something that he brought up? Um, I think uh, one, one verse that I would, I would say that we could look at is John uh, 16. John 16, John's Gospel, chapter 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 16. Uh, 33. Now, if you have a red letter edition on your tablet, phone, or if you have red letter edition Bible, which I do, it helps us to identify that these are the words of Jesus. And it says, Jesus speaking, he says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And this isn't talking about the great tribulation. It's just turbulent times or difficulty, um, trials, uh, sufferings. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So Jesus himself said that, oh, no, you're going to have difficulties. You're gonna fa- the difficulties are going to happen. Uh, we, I jokingly say sometimes about uh, uh, some of the Bible promises One of them is, uh, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's Again, that's not one we put on our mirror. That's not one we put on our refrigerator. That's not one we place out there, right? Why? It's one we just don't put there because for us, it's like, that that to us anyway is kind of like, oh, that's not something I want. That's not a promise I want to really embrace, right? And then in James, James speaks about this. So we see Jesus talking about it. Um, I'll read something to you out of 2 Corinthians. You can go there if you want. But 2 Corinthians has, has some more things. In chapter 11, there's some, an interesting little list here, beginning in verse 22, of the very things that Paul's talking about. The only reason I'm reading this is because all of these things you'll find uh, have happened while through the book of Acts. Uh, as, as they, he's talking about his own sufferings. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Paul speaking. Uh, are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. These are just people that were uh, kind of claiming Paul not to be legitimate. Uh, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And then he says, in labors more abundant, in stripes, which is uh, lashings, whippings, above measure. Because I've been beaten so many times with, with whips, I don't even remember. In prisons more frequently, in deaths often. He says, I, I, you know, I've watched people die and I've been been up against that myself. He says, verse 24, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That's a lot of, that's a lot of beatings, man. That's pretty intense. I like this. He says, then, and this is something he feels provoked to talk about. It's not something he just talks about. It's something he feels like, I need to be clear about this so that you understand that, man, we go through difficult times. Let's just listen to this. He says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, just hanging onto a piece of wood. In journeys often, in perils of waters. In perils, the word perils means gripped with fear, thinking I'm going to die. Perils means like I'm, I'm, I'm overcome with the thought that I'm, I'm probably going to lose my life. Deep 
concerned that I'm going to lose my life. In perils of, uh, of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils... Uh, among the false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst and fastings and cold and so on and so on and so on. But the reason I wanted to read that is because it, this takes you back to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you'll find those accounts of those events that took place rather than going through Acts and trying to find all those. I'm trying to show you that Jesus talked about it. We find it in Acts. And then we also see in right here in the letter that we're reading about, uh, it, it comes up. And then I thought it was interesting. If we read in James, James brings up this very same thing that trials are part of in the first chapter, in the second verse. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, he's not saying we jump up and down and yoo-hoo, can't, I'm so excited I get going through another difficult season. You know, that, that's not what this is talking about. This is, he's saying, you know, be aware that there's a purpose in this and that we can be thankful to God that this is happening because he's got a purpose in it, not in the event itself, not in the trial, but that God allows these for a purpose, knowing this is the key thing, and knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience, but patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives you all liberty without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with, not doubt, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, tossed, by the, uh, tossed and driven by the sea, by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. But the thought is, is that the trials or the difficulties happen to us as believers. Um, First Peter, same type of mention in the fourth chapter, 12th verse to the 19th verse, and in the first chapter, uh, the sixth verse to the ninth verse, we find Peter referencing the same thing about trials and difficulties and sufferings. They're very real. And, uh, and, and they happen to every one of us. I like in the, this is something I do want you to look, go back to, is in 2 Corinthians, if you go all the way, toward the latter part of it, you'll find in chapter 12, this is kind of a, for your notes sake, uh, Luke 21, 12, also makes mention of the reality that Jesus spoke of about the types of uh, sufferings and difficulties and persecutions that we might experience as as followers of His. So it's it's not the weak in faith that go through difficulty. I reject that, by the way. Just so you know, I think that's I think it's heretical. I I, I really do. I think that um, we are. If you want to really display strength, as if you really want to portray true faith. True faith is trusting God in the midst of heinous difficulty and challenge and being able to rest and trust God even if, and, and know that God is able to carry you through the difficulty. That is a real display of faith. But for me or you or others to accuse us of not having faith 
And that's why this situation is happening. I find it inconsistent with Scripture. I, I just don't find a consistency with that. And I don't find that playing out throughout the apostles' lives or you know, Jesus himself or any of that. Difficulty happens. It's what you do with the difficulty and how you navigate. I have had opportunity to lead more people to the Lord in the midst of crazy challenge and difficult personal, personal difficulty you know, and, and trials. And this is why I think. One, well, I'll tell you why right here out of this. This, this speaks more better. Than, more better. That's proper English. How do you like that? That tells you where your pastor's education is, right? More, more better. Um, uh, verse 7 of chapter 12. My goodness. And lest, Paul speaking, I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So we see that God's just wanting him to be reliant upon him and so on. Great. He asked, he pleaded, he says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord that three times it might depart from me. Again, we don't know exactly there's all kinds of conjecture on this, speculation, about what the issue was. Was it a physical malady? What was the issue that was happening for him? There's all kinds of speculation. on it. But it doesn't say exactly, so I think that's okay that it doesn't. It kind of gives us an insight that, hey, concerning this thing, whatever it might be that's plaguing you, that's plaguing me, that we're struggling with, that's happening to us, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. I, I wanted relief from this. I wanted to be delivered from this. But then what does he say? And he said to me, this is now that Paul says, Jesus spoke to me and said, my grace, my unmerited favor and love, my grace, unmerited favor and love is sufficient or enough for you. For my strength. So first it's saying my grace, speaking Jesus, speaking my grace is sufficient for you. And then he says, my strength is is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, now because he said this, my strength is made perfect or perfected through weakness. So in the midst of your inability to deal with the situation or to make it better or whatever your thoughts are, in, in that case, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then he, therefore, Paul's response to this, whenever you read it, therefore, you got to know what it's there for. He's saying, because of those things that are just say, said to me by Jesus, most gladly, in verse 9, the middle of verse 9, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, not take pleasure in that I enjoy them. He says, I understand that the difficulty, the infirmity, the thing that I'm going through, the reproaches in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So it seems like a, a wild, contradictory thing being said, well, you know, when I'm weak is when I'm really strong. It's because when I am at the end of me, when I get to the end of me, when you get to the end of you, there's God. When you're done crying about, you know, the, the storm that you're in and I'm in, when we're done with that and the boat's taken on water and we're not going to make it and we're doing exactly what the Lord told us to do and this has all gone south, then all of a sudden we cry out to God, God shows up, and all of a sudden we realize that in the midst of that, 
I'm the, I'm the weakest I could ever be. I'm at the end of me. But yet I'm actually the strongest I could ever be when I f- reach out and hang on to God. So God shows up. God speaks into the circumstance. And then I'm the strongest I could ever be when I'm reliant upon him. When my trust is without borders. I understand that there's a lot of literature written about boundaries. And I understand that, and I understand the popularity of the term, and I understand that. But look it, Jesus Christ gave it all for you and for me. Gave it absolutely 100% for you and me. He died on a cross 2,000 years ago to deal with my sin and your sin and the sin of the world that whoever the Bible says would call upon his name could have everlasting life. It was because he wants to have fellowship with us. He wants us to have relationship with him. But we've got a problem. We're us. Us is the problem, not God. God doesn't have a problem, but we've got a problem. We're us. And us problem is sin. We are born with a sin nature. We don't always say the right thing. We don't always think the right thing. We don't always do the right thing. That's, we have a sin nature. And we call out to God. The thing that I, I find this idea of the, the boundaries idea is when we start establishing these boundaries of I'm willing to do this for or with God, but I'm not willing to do this. I'm willing to give this, but I'm not willing to give that. I'm willing to do this. And we, we create, well, who's God then? You've got to answer that. I, don't, I have to answer that for myself, and you have to answer that for yourself. I'm talking just as Christians here. I'm, just, I'm not talking about, this isn't Pastor Jim all the being heavy or something. I, I'm talking about, I got to talk to God this way, you know? Because I can put limits on things just like you can, you know? Well, I'm willing to do this, but I'm not willing to do that. You know, you know, we can all do that. But the thing is, then, then who's God? We sing a song like that where my trust is without board. It's talking about you establishing all your boundaries because that doesn't fit into the convenience of your life. And then I just, I, this sounds hardcore, but this is actually really how I think. But I think in my mind, wow, how convenient was it for Jesus to just die on the cross for my sins? How convenient was it for him to suffer, suffer in the garden knowing that he's gonna have this brief little moment of time of separation of the Father that he's never ever had? He wasn't scared of dying. He knew he was going to resurrect, so, you know. But how convenient was any of that? How convenient was it for him to leave eternity and the comfort of eternity and take on the form of a bodily form of a human? How convenient was that? It's just not convenient. None of this is convenient. So what, who am I to establish my limit lines and my boundaries? and all? I, I understand what the... the literature. I, I get it, and I, I do think time management and, and being wise about I, I understand the concept, okay? I'm not... I'm not I, I get that, okay? But there's a flip side to that, too, that Christians... I think a lot of us use that as an excuse just because we don't want to do something, because it's inconvenient, or it's difficult, or it's a subservient matter. Somebody's got to do some of the stuff, Right? And what did Jesus teach us? He went into the upper room. He sat around with them. And what did he do? He's just looking around. Exactly. Who was that? Who, who was it? Exactly. He, everybody saw, 
smelled the same thing. But Jesus, and he said, like I'm doing to you, you do for one another. That's what servanthood looks like. It's doing the thing that nobody else wants to do, (laughs) right? It's inconvenient. The creator of all the universe grabbed a towel, wrapped it around, got down, got a basin, and started washing. Look, you have to know what the ancient world was like as far as there was no sewer system, right? There's animals wandering around. There's all kinds of stuff going on. There's little gutters where the waste would wash around, and and that's just the way it was. So they were walking around, and they're wearing sandals. It's messy. The most lowest servant in the servant pool, the people of servanthood, did the foot washing when people would come into a room. Jesus, our master, the creator of the universe, Stoop to that low level to show you and to show me that the way up is down. <laughs> you know, you want to be the greatest, learn to be the servant of all. I just think these things are so important because it's so easy. We live in a Western culture where it's I, me, and my. You know, it's all about us and, you know, all about bless me, bless me. And it's just, but that's just not what this, is, this context of this is about. Trials and suffering Bring back, that's what it sounds like when reality sets in, by the way. Like that. It's, that's what reality sounds like. It, it just, all of a sudden, you kind of get encompassed by it. And just, bam, you know, you're just right there in the middle of it. And trials and difficulties, sufferings, bring us, man, our feet on the ground. And we're in the thick of it. And it's like, man, I don't know what to do with this. And God allows that so that you and I can embrace the glory of who he is and experience the strength and power of his presence. I know Jesus so differently than I would ever have known him. And I don't want you or me or anybody to go through some of the things that we've been through or that I've been through. I don't wish that upon anyone or any, I don't even wish it upon myself. But the thing is, is I don't wish it upon enemies. But the thing is, is it creates in us a dependence in the reality of the presence of the one true living God and that God is able to deliver us. Sometimes it's the deliverance. It doesn't change the problem, but I'm delivered from the oppression of the problem. I've still got joy in the midst of the problem. I can still praise God in the midst of the difficulty. I'm delivered actually from myself and my own self-centric view of all of it. I'm so thankful for that, what God is able to do through the difficulties. I got three things I want to talk about real quick, and then we're going to close out. In verses 9 and 10, these are the things that we found. God takes or carries us through trials and suffering for our spiritual development. And I believe he takes the information that we have from our head down to our heart so that we know him so much more intimately. So that's the first thing I notice out of this is that God carries or takes us through trials and suffering, not always just takes us out of the trial, right? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it's just sometimes we don't just get plucked out of it. I, I'm thankful when that happens. I'm grateful when that happens. But it doesn't always go like that. Sometimes you just got to kind of walk through it. 
The second thing I noticed is that God's whole desire uh, and what he wants for us to do or our response to be is to simply trust him. To simply trust him. And I say this from, and I'm not going to get into all of the things that I've, I've experienced on different levels, but, you know, um, I've been with both of my parents when they've passed, you know, I, I, so I'm not talking about something I'm unfamiliar with, you know, uh, many of you know, the past few years, some of the challenges that our, our family's gone through and stuff. And, and sometimes we get little victories here and there, and sometimes it's just real difficult, but, but you know what? I still know that God is good. And that's sometimes one of the biggest things is that the galactic universe, and I mean this seriously, not just Star Wars wise, but really the galactic whole universe is looking at you and looking at me as followers, as believers, and saying, what is he or she going to do with this? Are, we, are they going to push against God, go against God? Because, see, the enemy thinks that you and I can be bought. Take away all that Job has. He'll, he'll, he'll curse you. He'll curse you to your face. This, this, is, this is Satan's view of you and me. But in all of that, Job did not go against God. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. I'm going to trust in God. That's the short version of that storyline. But God desires us to trust him. The third thing I note is prayer is to be a part of this process. Prayer is to be a part of this process. And in Hebrews, no better could it be said, I think, than in Hebrews Chapter 4, verse 14. Very familiar scripture, but so, so good for this. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, our belief in him as the Savior. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted or tested as we are, yet without sin. He didn't fail in any of that. He is God. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us have direct open access to the throne of grace, which is entering into his presence based on grace which is unmerited love and favor that he has for you and me, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it gives us these insights into prayer is a linked process to come boldly to, the, to his throne of grace. We need to bring things in through prayer. Psalm 18. I'll just read this one to you. You can look it up if you want, but Psalm 18 Verse 2. 
The Lord is my rock and my, and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Show so I be saved from my enemies. The greatest enemy we face always has been conquered already, and that's death. It's been conquered. He conquered the power of sin and death and has given us life. Life presently and life everlasting. And again, the access to Jesus is straight, straight away. It's right into his presence. All we have to do is confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord. And he says, you shall be saved. I know some of that was uh, strong terms to think through in the midst of difficulties and trials. I, I, I know some of that. Um, and I sum that when we talk about limitations and creating our own borders and boundaries about everything. I know, that, I, I know that's not palatable in our culture and our society. I, I understand that. But I still really believe it to be true. I, I believe when things get peeled back and we're just kind of left with us and, and, and walking out this, this belief that we have that he is God, you know, when it's comfortable, it's different than when it's uncomfortable. It's different. It's a different situation. It really starts to show you, show me, wow, have I even really been trusting God? You know? You know, I, I say I am, but am I really trusting him? And God just wants, he'll take you in your journey with him as far as you're willing to go. He loves you. These things I'm talking about aren't matters of salvation. Salvation was a gift from the Lord to you and to me. But in order to grow, and I say this, and I, I, I wanted to be you know, firm about some of this so that you could see is because I don't know that it's gonna be an easy time ahead for Christians. When we've got our own president and other world leaders very clearly speaking about a new world order, we sh your ears should perk up. Read the signs of the times. Discern, the Bible says, what's going on around you. Because this is the big screen. This is real life stuff. World powers are making these statements. That they want to have a new world order. And the new world order is going to be a one world monetary system and a one world government. Just as you read in your Bible. So... We can get together sometime. We can run around out in the grass. We can start practicing, you know, rapture practice. No, just kidding. <laughs> but, but the times in which we live are, are, are sober. You know, we get so hunkered down. Well, gosh, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I just planted some new tulips, and I, I want to make sure I get to see them come up. Well, hey, that's going to be the last of your concerns, you know. The, the Lord's coming back, and we should be excited about that, but it could be challenging, as we go forward, I, I would expect it to be that way. Can you believe how exponentially things have changed in the last 24 months? I mean, things have really changed in our world, you know? And, and in the last year, just over a year, just 
policy and global presence and everything that's going on. I mean, what's happened? And much less, then you can just shrink it down to the last month and a half. You know, we've got world power stomping on other people. Other people aren't really wanting to help other people. I, you know, it's, it's a lot of question marks, you know, for a guy like me. I'm just like scratching my head. But then I read my Bible and I realize, well, it's just kind of the signs of the times, you know? And so we should be aware it's in here. It's available for us. We don't need to speculate. We don't need to be weird. But when I get like that, it causes me to think about what do I really think is important? What do I think really matters? And when I have huge trials, small trials, cataclysmic trials, losses, different things that we go through, all of us go through, it seems overwhelming to me a lot of times. And then I start hanging out with the Lord. And I start talking to the Lord about it. And I start remembering whom I'm speaking with. The creator of all the universe. Who spoke with his words, the world into being. Spoke with his words, the world into being. And I realized, well, my problem's not quite so big a deal after all. God can handle that. I just need to go like this. Remember when it says, be still and know that I am God? That be still is to relax your grip. That's what that means, to relax your grip. Stop holding on to it so hard. Even the trial and the difficulty, you don't need to hold on to it. Just your identity doesn't have to be in that. It can just be release and know. That means that I know I'm not releasing it into nothingness. I'm releasing my grip and pushing it on toward God and know that I am God. Or to be still. Father, thank you for that truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you carry us through challenges and difficulties for your will, for your purpose. And we just pray that throughout this week, throughout our time duration here on this earth, that we would look to you and trust in you. Thank you that, Lord, you are just a simple prayer away that to be a follower of you, to be a true follower, it's that simple profession of faith, meaning that I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship with God where I just say, Jesus, I know that I fall short and that I am a sinner and that I need you. Religion is always asking you and I to do something. God is asking for you just to open up your life to him and he will do it. And so we invite him then into our hearts and just say it by acknowledging that we need him. We need a savior. And we say, Jesus, I want to give my heart to you, my life to you. You can pray that simple prayer right where you're sitting right now and just ask Jesus to come into your heart. And the Bible says that he will come in if you invite him in. Say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life, be my Lord and my Savior. I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit. And he'll do just that. He will make, take up residence in your life. You'll be born again. You'll have a new life, new perspective. And God will bring about change and things in your life that you would have never thought was possible. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for those who are opening up their lives to you now. And Lord, we do give our trials, our, our difficulties, our challenges to you and ask that you would be glorified in and through them. Help us to look to you and trust in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Jim Stewart. 
If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Pastor Jim's ministry by visiting calvarychapelkc.com.